Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of the Sniff Perfume Podcast. I'm Nicola Thomas. I'm joined today by one of British perfumery's best-known mavericks. She's a woman who isn't afraid to share insider knowledge of the secretive perfume industry. She has her own brand, 4,160 Tuesdays, and teaches wannabe perfumers from all over the world. Our guest today is, of course, Sarah McCartney. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Nicola. <laughs> Let's get right to it then. You've been working with Smells and Scent for quite a while now, first as a writer and appreciator of scent, and then as the founder and perfumer of 4,160 Tuesdays. What is it about fragrance and scents generally that retain this kind of enduring appeal for you? Well, I could probably get very philosophical about it and make things up, but it just turns out that I seem to be quite good at it. I've tried to be creative in many different fields. I was quite a good musician, uh, reading music and playing and joining in with bands, but wasn't a very good composer. And my mom was a really good artist and she took me on courses and I tried doing things. They would take me days. And um, it, it's almost like this book I had when I was a kid like about a monk who used to go around trying to make art to the glory of the universe and making the right mess of it. But he just made people happy along the way. And um, I found that making perfume, I seem to be able to make things that make people happy. So when that happens and somebody says, oh, my goodness, I really love wearing this. When I wake up in the morning, I put this on. I want to do more. So I think it's more the effect that it has than, than the perfume itself. I'm, I'm very encouraged by encouragement. Does that make some sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really positive fuel for life, really. You know, if you're going to be motivated by anything, being motivated to earn, you know, shed loads of money so that you can buy a better kitchen than your neighbour or a better car than your neighbour, it's kind of hollow in a, in a way. But being motivated by something that is about making other people happy is really lovely. <laughs> and the weird thing is, I, I, I just I hadn't thought of that until now. The, the way in which you asked it, I think, just, um, or maybe it's it's the weather and the way of the world at the moment. I'm not particularly interested in making money. Uh, I'm quite bad at that. I just have to make sure that I have enough to continue to be able to do what I'm doing. And so that, that forces me to not be silly with it because when you have to pay the rent and the VAT and uh, that's this morning um, people's wages and you're responsible for people's livelihoods you obviously can't lose money on it but people who come to me and say teach me how to make a bestseller because I want to do this you know it just leaves me cold <laughs> the answer is no mm. no I won't <laughs> yeah and do you think that being able to detect a wide variety of odours is an innate skill that we all have, or is it something that we can get better at with practice? You know, are you a good perfumer, or do you have the potential to be a good perfumer, you know, right from the start, or is it? can you, can you improve yourself? You can improve. You can improve a lot, and you can improve very quickly with practice. 
although that's not necessarily going to make you a good composer of new things and have new ideas. It's, um, it's a bit like being a very fast typist and being able to read very well doesn't necessarily mean that you would be able to write a novel, mm. I think. But getting better at smelling things, um, oh, you wouldn't believe the people who think they have a brilliant sense of smell and then have absolutely no clue. They might be able to detect things when they're strong, but they can't tell the difference. Uh, it's usually parents who come in with their children who say, oh, he's got a marvelous sense of smell, haven't you, darling? Come and smell it. What's that? And they'll say, that's lemons, you know, and it, it'll be a violet or chocolate or something. It's like, yeah, jolly well done. <laughs> um, but people who say, oh, I'm useless at this, quite often are really, really good. And they'll just walk around going, oh, is that one the same as this one? And is that that? And you think, oh, wow, that's, that's better than me. I, but, uh, it, yeah, sorry. So, go oh, no, go on. Um, I, I think my mum's like that. Um, she can smell if the casserole is burning from about two miles away. And she'll be like, why have you not taken the casserole out of the oven? Like, because I can't smell it's burning. But she can as she's like, you know, walked up the drive or something. She's got an incredible sense of smell, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think smelling and perceiving and identifying, that's one half of it. And it does make the job faster. But knowing and feeling what will go well together, I think that's another part of the job. Mm. Yeah. I suppose it's the difference between being somebody that grows cherries and somebody that can make a really nice cherry t like tart or flan or something in simple terms. Yeah. Division of labor, Nicola. Courses mm. for courses. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess some people want to do all of it. There's being, being a perfumer and running a perfume company are probably two quite different uh, skills. Some some perfumers, people who do it for a living, manage never to have to run their own business. Um, it's it's a it's a whole other world when you're actually responsible for selling it as well as uh, making it. Mm. And as we mentioned right at the outset, you teach people who want to learn to compose fragrances as well as composing for both your own brand and as a sort of perfumer for hire for other brands. What's more satisfying, teaching someone to make something beautiful or making something beautiful yourself? Ooh, good question. Because if I hadn't made some things that I think are beautiful, that I really enjoy and that other people do, maybe I wouldn't find it as much fun. And I probably wouldn't feel so confident in passing on skills to other people. So uh, we might be in some kind of a chicken egg thing here. I do really love it when people are inspired by something I've done, but then make a better version. They'll cut and say, well, I, I did this. So the, the, the formula you gave us for that, I've done that. And then I added this and I used this and it smells like that. And I just love that. I'm, I'm the sort of teaching person. I don't have a, well, I have a teaching qualification, but it's only to teach yoga. Uh, I don't have a qualification to, qualification to teach um, perfumery, um, but I've taught various things in my life. And 
to be able to bring somebody on and sort of give them a, a hand and a springboard and sling them past you off into the future so they can do better things. I I enjoy that very much, seeing people get going and um and going off and leading me in other directions as well. So yeah, that I, I do I do find I find it satisfying when people will join something like say like the week the week workshop that you came to. And then there's a WhatsApp group, and I know that people are still keeping going with it. Perhaps less satisfac- satisfaction in doing a half day when somebody's been given a gift voucher when nobody knew what else to give them, and they'd come and gone, and it was a little passing experience that they're going to forget. But, you know, it, that would probably stick with them as well. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose it becomes that virtuous circle then, doesn't it, of you inspiring people and empowering them and then they inspire and empower you and and then other people as well. And it kind of it's ripples in a pond in a way. Yeah, I'm good at throwing rocks in ponds. That's me. <laughs> so when another brand approaches you, and I think this is one of the areas that's a little bit mysterious um, if you're not mm. totally immersed in the industry, when another brand approaches you and asks you to make a fragrance for them, how does that all work? Oh, everyone is different. Um, and it is tricky because of the mystery, as you say, the mystery and secrecy about how these things happen. Most people who just buy a bottle of perfume once a year and use it up, think that the name on the bottle is the person who makes the fragrance and that is genuinely generally so far from the truth as to be uh it it opens doors into vast caverns of enormous organizations that nobody even knew were there so um a lot of people think that if they're going to have a perfume with their name on it they have to make it um which which is not unreasonable under the circumstances. A lot of people think Tom Ford makes his own perfumes, but he doesn't even own the company, Estee Lauder do. I'm sure he gets to say yes or no at the end of the day, but uh, a lot of celebrity fragrances, the celebs don't even smell it to the launch party. So, well, people come to me, therefore, with different expectations about what's actually going to happen. And usually... They've designed the bottle first. They've got a lovely picture on paper of the bottle they want. And they don't realize they're going to have to go and buy 10,000 of them. If they want their own bottle shape made, it's going to be, you know, 50,000 euros plus. So uh, (laughs) where do we start? Um, Usually I, I have to start with people saying, well, first of all, what area are you in? What? How many do you think you want and how many do you think you're going to sell? Um, sometimes if people come to me and they really do, just do say, well, I, I want the best-selling fragrance in the world. I want everybody to love it and I want it to make me a fortune. I, I will point them in the direction of somebody else. Um, recent, what's the most interesting one? Recently, um, Somebody wanted a fragrance for a shower gel. And I don't normally do fragrances for shower gels, but they are such lovely people. And they are so dedicated to making things in their own region's tradition. Their brand is, um, oh, maybe it's secret. Maybe I won't tell you yet. (laughs) But 
I, I just wanted to work with them. So I guided them through the whole process and told them exactly how it happens and how much they would expect to have made and where to go next and how to make it legal. Um, because those people, I, I liked having those people in my life. So the process of coming to me to have a fragrance made is not necessarily the industry one, which will be, right, we'll do it that this much per litre and you've got to have 185 litres, boom. Mm. Uh, and then we'll give you to a filling company and then we'll tell you where to get your bottles made and then this distributor happens and now go and do some PR. Mm. I haven't really shed much light on it, have I? <laughs> because it's so complicated, I guess. <laughs> but but it, Yeah, it is. <laughs> when somebody comes to you, you know, with you know to compose for their own perfume brand who owns the formula do, do they own it or do you own it how does that bit work oh yes that thing because formulas can't well fragrances aren't subject to intellectual property law you can't own a smell um so you can own the brand you can own the logo even you can copyright the bottle design, but the smell, technically anybody could copy and make it. So you, you can make the same smell out of many different things. You could get something that smells very similar. Uh, say you can make the smell of a rose, not out of roses. Mm. So that's one of the reasons that perfumers keep their formulas very secret. Um, because that just makes it more difficult for somebody to copy it directly and easily. I make it quite clear to people that if I'm making their formula for them, if I'm making the fragrance for it to smell lovely, I own the formula. But if any point, if they want to have, you know, a ton of it made by somebody big, they can then buy it off me. In the meantime, I would continue to make small quantities of their fragrance for them. Um, to the formula that I have and that's that's kind of a bit like an author owning the copyright to a book so that when the reprints are done then they can earn a bit more money but um, if someone comes to me and makes their own and they're using say a fougere base that I've made out of four different things or they've used my special musk blend that makes everything smell lovely I will tell them what's in it. If they then want to go ahead and and manufacture it, I'll tell them what's in it so they don't they don't have to come to me. I I don't hold anyone ransom. Mm. Which I know some some organizations when you go and make their perfumes, you use their secret lemon blend and their secret blackcurrant blend. Um particularly the, the 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 fragrance houses in the south of France are very smart like this. Uh so then you say, "Oh, I've made this perfume." Um, and the formula just has a list of their secret blends on it. So if you ever want another one, you have to go back to them. Mm. Um, I don't really want to build my business in that way. I'm more interested in making new and interesting things than than making people come back to me for stuff they want. Mm. Although they do, but voluntarily. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's always the best way, isn't it? As opposed to keeping people hostage, like you say. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to have people feeling that they're under some obligation and they're going to have to lift up the phone. I I want them to think, oh, I'll have another bottle of perfume. I'll call Sarah. Mm. That that's nice. Yeah. And out of all the perfumers I've met, 
you've got to be one of the people most involved in lots of different projects from making sense for perfume groups and bloggers or vloggers to special fragrances for events to sense to you know even sense to promote washing machines uh-huh. what i'm such a pusher <laughs> <laughs> but what's the appeal to all those different strands do they bring something different to to your practice you know what? It's usually the people involved, Nicola, who say to me, I've thought of this and wouldn't it be great to do that? And how do you fancy getting involved with? And I just think, oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and so I'm talked into it. I didn't mean to be the perfumer who gets involved in multi-sensory musical events, except that the woman who runs Bittersweet, Steph Singer, is just so amazing. You know, when you see the phone ring and you think, oh, good. <laughs> um, you know, when Steph calls me, it's like, oh, there's going to be something exciting happening. Um, and even now she can't do her touch-based choreographed live events. We've done an event in a box where people listen to music all around the world at the same time and put on a face mask and smell the fragrance and eat interesting flavours by the uh, an amazing chef. Um, and so, you know, I, that I can't turn down because it's marvellous. Mm. Uh, same as when I'm making perfumes with different Facebook groups or bloggers or bloggers, it's because they just get so excited about stuff that I can't turn them down. <laughs> And then I have ideas of my own, so so off I go. Yeah, and what a lovely way to, um, I guess, be fueled again is by that kind of curiosity and that wonder, you know, in the world. Because there's a lot of people, once they've been doing their job for five, ten years, they get a bit jaded with it, and that's clearly not the case because you're constantly reinvigorated by the people that you meet along the way, which is lovely. This is absolutely true. And and from where I, when I first started, some of the first people I met really were Professor Barry Smith and Professor Charles Spence, who do the Chaz and Baz show on multi-sensory. Um, it, it's, one's a philosopher, Barry's a philosopher, and Charles is a neuroscientist. And as soon as I got sucked into that world of multi-sensory perception, Oh, this is just so marvelous. And I get a telephone call from Barry saying, Sarah, I'm I'm on the television tomorrow. Can you make me the smell of Christmas pudding? You go, Yeah, yes, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that happens and then that beca- that becomes a fragrance. So yeah, I guess if your job is to stand in a lab and wait for the next brief to come through for a candle every day, um, it might just feel like a job. Whereas this is, well, it's kind of my life. It's also Nick, my husband's life. And I tend to suck people into the business and it becomes their life as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't envisage myself getting bored. Tired, maybe, but not bored. Mm, yeah. And with your enthusiasm school training um, courses, you know, along with that, as well as things you've been putting out on Instagram and that sort of thing, you you are building up quite this reputation for lifting the lid on this secretive industry. What are, I mean, we've touched on one of them already, but what are the other common misconceptions about fragrance and fragrance composition that you wish more people knew? 
Well, the real biggie is that people think natural is safer. That's that's a problem. Um, I mean, these lovely people I've done the shower gel for, they came to me first and said, well, we want it to be clean and green and organic and this and not have any allergens. You go, ah, that thing about not having allergens and being and being natural. Let me explain a few things to you that essential oils are made by plants as a defense against attack from humans, animals, molds, bacteria, insects particularly. So they put stuff in them. It's really going to irritate you. And then humans go and want to plaster it all over their skin. Come on, think about this. Where are some of the synthetics? I mean, I, I show these people ISOE Super, and I show them what happens when you put Hedione with a natural. It makes it smell more natural. And I introduce them to synthetic masks. And they, I, I said, how do you feel about this? Does it have to be natural? Shall I tell you some secrets? And they went, show us the secrets. And they totally fell in love with what happens when you put this magical molecule, which somebody described as human catnip <laughs> on our group this week. It's, it's a great thing. It smells gorgeous. And you put it with other things. It just makes them more beautiful. And they said, yep, I get it. We need this stuff in our shower gel. And so when people are open to um, understanding what na why nature really makes these natural things, which is not for humans to put in perfume, it's, as, it's to keep things away, it's to you know, repel. Um, and I work with some other people who say, well, I see what you mean, but no, I still feel I want it natural because that's what they feel. Then we really struggle to make something legal because there are, there are so many things in which are harmful to human skin. That's, that's an mm. issue. Yeah, and I see that as being kind of not that, that spread of the kind of chemphobia as not being helped necessarily all the time by people who write and vlog on this sort of thing, um, you know, kind of in the perfume sphere, because it it's almost, if you haven't, learnt any better it's almost something that you brought up with that you know natural is best and so yeah. people kind of go and they write about these things or they or they vlog on them they say you know well this perfume's all natural therefore it's got to be good without understanding the you know the fact that chemistry is everywhere and it's not just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's bad and doesn't mean that it's scary. It means that you need to go and talk to a chemist or somebody who knows more about it than you to bring that sense of enlightenment that actually, yeah, naturals can be really scary. And, you know, it's this whole thing about putting um, lavender oil in your mascara to protect, you know, prevent the bugs from growing, which is horrifying because you can go blind from that. Yeah. And yeah. Yes, and people yeah. have. Um, I, I think it, it all, it, what it boils down to is the fear of looking stupid. Mm. People don't go and ask chemists because they're afraid they won't understand. And there's this kind of shorthand which people go, oh, it's all natural, isn't it? Because you, you know, we have a little company for a little event with a little stand, and, and we say it's handmade, and somebody says, oh, it's all natural, isn't it? And they're expecting you to say yes, because in a big shop, even if somebody walks up to the, I won't name any famous perfume brands, but there's one in particular, 
known for going, oh, ours are all made of flowers, while still being famous for using aldehydes in the 1920s. So um, it, it is this, it's almost like a, a, a secret, a, a secret signal. It's all natural, isn't it? Oh, yes, lovely. That it's sort of safe. And when salespeople say that to me, I say, well, surely you don't use animal musk because that's illegal. And they go, somebody actually said to me once, oh, yes, but I mean, all the naturals are natural. <laughs> um, and uh, somebody else quite famous in the perfume world said, well, I don't use any chemicals. And I'm going, but, but, but we're all made of chemicals. Oh, yes, but you mean we don't use any chemical chemicals. <laughs> So the problem is that with the kill chemophobia thing, I think people imagine that chemicals, I mean, someone grew up on, like me, grew up on Teesside, you drive past the ICI and there's all these pipes and tubes and massive chimneys and yellow stuff coming out of it. And actually, I, it always looked like fairyland from a distance for me. So maybe that's why I'm not afraid of mm. chemicals. Because in the dark, the ICI looked like a magical place. But um, people think chemicals are for cleaning stuff, that they're corrosive, that they're, you know, you pour them in the sea and they kill all the fish. And then you say, but water's a chemical and salt's a chemical and baking powder's a chemical and we are all made of chemicals. Mm. Ah, so if someone says to me, there aren't any nasty chemicals in, are there? And I say, oh, no, we use the nice ones. <laughs> and then that sort of that opens the door for people to just stop in their tracks and say, "Hang on, there are nice ones." And you go, "Well, yes." Do you want to smell this? And then you have opened this secret door, which usually, I mean, some scientists can accidentally slam in the face if someone says, "Oh, I don't want chemicals." They just go, "Oh, well, don't be so ridiculous," and that's not going to start a conversation. Mm. Then, then that person's off like, oh, they're trying to make me feel stupid. I'm away. Mm. And it brings back all the school lessons that they ever felt silly in. And so we can't lead to knowledge in that direction, mm. I think. But knowledge through perfumery. The more people smell Isoe Super and Galaxolide and ooh, Cassie Space 345B, the more they're going to go, what? What? You mean chemicals to smell like? that and then then we have an open door don't we yeah and it's certainly you know it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion and it it's an interesting area to spread a message of um awareness and understanding in i guess they're not they're not even greener necessarily mm. you know it's not better for the environment to plough up a whole load of virgin land and grow roses in it and lob um, uh, weed killer and stuff all over it and then put your migrant workers in there breathing all of that stuff just because so somebody can say, oh, it's a natural rose. It might be much better for the environment to buy, uh, you know, five litres of phenylethyl alcohol from a very clean factory in Germany. Mm. So it's... <laughs> not none of this yeah. is simple yeah. okay so what what's always struck me when i've read about your career is that there feels like there must have been a real sense of self-belief at some point um particularly perhaps when you made that leap from being a writer 
um, to being a perfumer. And I just wondered what advice would you give to somebody, maybe not even regards to perfume, but in any part of life, um, to somebody who's trying to take that leap of faith to change direction or believe in themselves more? Ooh. Well, you know, like I said, I was I was kind of very, I'm very easily persuaded by other people. <laughs> and um, uh, I was, I, I got, I got some support from the lovely Lizzie Ostrom, Odette Toilette, who was running the Stretch and Sniff events. And this is, wait, what, 2011 or something? And she smelt my fragrances and said she thought they were good and possibly even great. Could we, do we do an event? I thought, well, yes. And I didn't really question too deeply whether or not this was a good idea. And then... Joe Fairley, who has now founded the Perfume Society and at the time was writing for uh, various magazines about perfume. She was in the front row of this event, smelt mine, wrote in a report that said that I should give up writing and go into perfumery. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So it's not so much the self-belief with me. It's people around me going, oh, go on then. Um, and still sometimes you wake up in the morning and all that happens is that I mean, I, I got I got a there's this 17 page review once from a blogger in the U.S. denouncing me as oh you know the devil's spawn practically, um, and I couldn't sleep for three days, but I still kept going because that was what I was doing then. So, uh, oh, difficult to say. Okay, self belief. I do really try to talk people out of doing this for money I, I i i mean it's it's great if that's what drives people if that's their hobby and they're going to be very happy making more of it but to make other people spend money with you over a long term what you've got to make sure is that they are very very happy with what you've just sold them and what they've just bought so if you are going to stay in business, you're going to devote your life to doing this and actually have to prove yourself by continuing to make people happy enough to want to part with their hard-earned cash. You've really got to put some love into what you do. Um, it's not even just a about being good at it. If you want to go and be a perfumer and work for a big company and you're you safely know that somebody's going to pay your wages every month. I think that's something entirely different, really. That's I, I never did anything as a career move, anything. Um, I just seemed to be spotted by people, and they'd say, well, do you fancy doing this? And I'd say, yeah, all right then. Um, so I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if I can claim self-belief. If I were to start it all over again, I'd just go back to playing in a band. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. Mm, that throws up lots and lots of questions for me but I must stick to the you know the time limits so I'm going to move on and ask you the quick fire yeah. questions if that's all right yeah. so yes. what's your favorite smell the palm tree next door which I hope they never cut down it's a tiny garden entire garden taken up by a palm tree it comes out about every May these fronds of tiny little white flowers it is Gorgeous. Uh, Favourite smell I've made, meet me on the corner. Fantastic. Um, what smell do you dislike? 
I don't like baby powder. That I don't like that that thing. I don't like um, baby lotion. I don't like the Johnson smell. It. I accidentally bought something that had something like it recently, a skin cleanser, and I don't like waste either, so I have to use it up. And every night it's like, oh, that thing. If you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history, where would you go and what would you smell? Oh, ah, right. Um, oh, I'd probably just stick myself in medieval London um, and just see what the heck they were compounding at the time. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't travel far, just backwards away. Mm. I, then, I, then I'm thinking Egypt. Would I actually go and find out what on earth that, that stuff smelled like that they used to put on mummies? No, I'd stick with stinky medieval London. I'd actually like to know how bad the streets really smelt. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. What do you think fear smells like? Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because animals can smell it. We can smell it. Humans can smell it. For me, it's a bit like aldehydes. It's sort of cold and shiny and repellent um, and snobbish. Mm, snobbish. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? I'm adding to them all the time and changing them. That's the thing. But I... Does, does the, the Paris Underground, when people still used to smoke, because um, I went to Paris, first of all, I was taken there on a bus from Jarrow. It took 14 hours to get there. And when I got there, I thought I was sort of, I wasn't sure whether I was awake or asleep, sort of dreamland. And then we were, we were bummed around Paris. It was amazing. And the every now and again, the London Underground will smell a bit, one corner of it will smell a bit like the Paris Underground smelt in the 1970s. Since people stopped smoking, it smells different. But it's a mixture of sort of burnt rubber as the tire brakes come on and gaulois and centuries of perfume. And it's, it's lost. But just every now and again, you get it at the end of the Piccadilly line. No, the Bakerloo line platform at Piccadilly Circus, you get a waft of it. And it's like Ghost of Paris Metro has suddenly been transport, transported into London. And I might have to work on that, that one. I love that idea. That sounds fantastic. The Ghost of Paris Metro. And can you call it Ghost of Paris Metro if you do? <laughs> maybe. Or maybe I'll call it. It's like, because it, I smelt, smell, smelt it when I was town twins, you see, which was called the jumelage twinning. Um, so maybe I'll just call it. Maybe maybe the Paris Metro is in fact twinned with the London Underground. That's what it is. <laughs> I'll, mm. I'll call it down twinning. Um, what fragrance are you wearing right now? I am wearing uh, clouds, both sides of clouds parfum, which is one I'm carrying around with me at the moment. It's um, you. It's not on the website. If you want it, you have to ask me nicely. <laughs> um, I've smelt it, and it is very very nice indeed. Thank you. Yes, it's it's uh. This is one of the group ones. I'm just putting that next. Did you hear that? I just <laughs> needed to top up. Um, I just grabbed it and sprayed. Um, that was made with 
Oh My Soul, Christy Long of the Facebook group Oh My Soul, to represent Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now song. So it has darkness and the lightness to it, but not too much darkness. Oak moss and oris and lavender, both are clouds and um, a, a fluffy ganache smell of tonka and vanilla. And then the deep stuff was the, the narcissus absolute I had to investigate and invest in to make this. But yeah, I'm pleased with it. It's nothing like I've made before and probably won't make again. Uh, I'm very happy with it. Great. What does summer smell of? Ah. Oh, a quick question, slow answers. Um, it's it's beach for me. It's but it's cold beach. It's um, hot sun, but it, it's always a bit seaweedy. Um, my my perfect summer is just plunging in some rock pools. Um, so it it will be a little bit tied out and and seaweedy, perhaps a splash of suntan lotion. So that's benzyl salicylate, that's the suntan lotion smell. Because it used to be used, first of all, because it is a UV protector, and that's how come suntan lotions all smell of it now. Down here, living in London, summer is, it, it's, this summer it's been the park. It's been the changing aromas of the different flowers that have come out during summer on our daily walk. So now for me, it's going to be, it's going to be the mock orange blossom that's growing in the park, which is, can I go back and say that that's actually my favorite smell? That was the, that was the smell. That was the thing that got me into, uh, it, it, taken down to the doctors age two, because I like the smell so much. I shoved the buds <laughs> up my nose. Yeah. The mock orange blossom. They have one in the park here, and there was one in my garden in regular. That's amazing. It was. It's like it was foretold, isn't it? Really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't try and make it into perfume. No, I just bunged it straight up my nose. I went the direct <laughs> route. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite food smell? Just coffee, I think. Yeah. Does that count as a food? Yeah, I think we can have that. Yeah, I love that. I mean. Things I can't eat, like um, making my own. I used to make um, brandy snaps, cooking brandy snaps. Oh, that, that's mm. that's pretty wonderful. But jam, I make. I'm off. I'm I'm only supposed to have one quick fire. Um, all right, I'll settle on. Make plum jam. When I make damson jam, I go and fetch it from. There's a damson tree, a few damson trees down by the park. There's only me and the Polish ladies down there. Go and fetch them. And um, then I turn them into um, damson sort of jam. That's cooking damsons. I'm on that. Yeah. What smell reminds you of school? Uh, <laughs> it's that that powdery brown stuff that they used to keep in what was known as the sick pocket. Yep. Yeah. Remember that. <laughs> it's small child vomits on the floor. This powdery brown stuff used to be thrown on it. Nobody really knew knew why. I don't think sawdust, some kind of sawdust. Uh, the, the, the the caretaker would turn mm. up with the sick pocket, and off it would go. I hate to mention that, but um, but every now and again, you do get a waft of that in a strange building somewhere, and you go, "No, Giles Gate Tin School." The Tin School's been was demolished years ago. It wasn't its proper name, but it was built out of corrugated um, iron, so it was known as the Tin School. 
Uh, I mean, there is the pencil sharpening one, of course. The but I've got I've got one of those pencil sharpeners with the handle, so it's the mm. sound as well. It's not just the aroma of releasing the Virginian cedar oil from the pencil. It's the noise that you get when you grind, you wind the handle and it grinds mm. it to a point. Um, and sometimes there's always that temptation to keep going with the ones that have got a handle. Keep going and keep going and keep going until you're just left with a little nub and not, not much pencil anymore. <laughs> that used to happen. And oh my goodness, didn't you get yelled at for doing that? But... The one I've got now, which is a Faber-Castell one I bought from their shop in Berlin when I was at the Art and Olfaction Awards, it doesn't mm. let you. It knows when it's pointy and it stops oh, you grinding it down. <laughs> I know. I was quite amused to find that because I did try it, you know, just to see. Because um, it's what the, about the naughtiest thing I ever did at school. <laughs> I wasn't very naughty. But you see, you and then I, I've got a pencil in my hand right now, so I'm just sniffing it. And that... You could just, it brings up visions in front of you. It's its the thing which people who've lost their sense of smell uh, can't do anymore. They can't time travel mm. through smell. And it's the, the surprise that time travel through smell gives you, I think, sometimes. It, it just drops you straight into this other place that you weren't expecting to visit. Mm. Pencil sniffer, <laughs> that's why I am now. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. I, Flipping love stationery. Um, so, yeah, I definitely found it tra quite transportive. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the opening the musical instrument case as well, because I don't play mine very often. But if I take the lid off a saxophone case, it's like, <gasps> band practice. Mm. That, that happens. And then final, final question from me. Scientists have just invented a smellophone. Who do you ring first? <laughs> Scientists have just invented the smell of bone. Who do I ring first? Oh, oh, probably Christoph Lord and Yelsey, what he's up to. <laughs> so, someone I would have a very interesting conversation with, and he could walk me around the whole lab and say, So, how have you smelt this yet? If you smelt that, you, what, are you still making things out of root vegetables? And then, yeah, we'd be off. Wonderful. I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd invite you. I mean, it is, is, it, is it a multi person um, smellophone? I think that's what should, we should invent. We should have you on the <laughs> like, other end of yeah, it. Group call, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for joining yeah. me today, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure and really nice to catch up with you again. Um, I look forward to seeing you hopefully at Scent School next year. Fingers crossed. The Sniff is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram at the Sniff website and Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find us on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the sniff. Our guest today was Sarah McCartney from 4,160 Tuesdays. We weren't paid or sponsored in cash or in kinds to feature this brand. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>